If you don't know me, my name is Adrian, and I'm going to be taking us through this next part of our morning where we're kind of ending our series that we've been in, uh, looking at the life of Daniel entitled Place for Purpose. And to start off, actually, I wanted to just say uh, it is good to be back. If you're a regular here, uh, last Sunday actually was my first Sunday back after uh, four weeks off over the summer. And uh, that isn't a norm for me. I don't normally kind of think, okay, it's the summer, I'm gone for four weeks. It was rather um, a moment as we talked as a team, a realization that the last kind of 18-month journey for us as a church uh, had had a bit of a toll, a bit of toll on me that I realized was there at Christmas time. And so if you're around, this is going to suddenly feel like Adrian's very needy. He seems to always tell stuff. Well, it's easier to say this stuff from the front to everyone rather than go around every individual. But at the beginning of the year, uh, at the turn of the year, I, I realized health-wise that not taking a day off for a few months uh, just because of what was going on, uh, it had some impacts into my health and so it had to make some changes there. But knew that I'd not also been taking enough time off generally and therefore knew once we got to the summer, there was a need just to do a bit more of an extended pause because of the uniqueness of the last 18 months. It isn't normally that I do life like that. It was just the uniqueness of the journey we've been on and what it's needed to get through it. And so in this, over this summer, I just therefore had some extended time off and that was good. I hadn't quite fully realized how tired I was uh, going into the break. And so I think probably for the first week where we were off down by the beach, myself and my family, uh, I'm married to an amazing woman called Lucy. We've got three kids, Emily, Sam, and Rebecca. And we just had a good time together. But within that, I think I was kind of like a zombie walking around. That's the best way to describe me. I think they describe me like that, as in I was present, but not fully present. Uh, and realized that actually I was tireder than I thought, and that tiredness had taken an effect. And so within uh, the time off, I just spent some time reflecting both on where we've been as a church, where I'd been as a church, and kind of where I was at. And there's that moment in reflecting, which is exactly what it says on the tin. It's you gazing in the mirror. And when you look at the mirror, you then see who you truly are. And I think for me, as I looked in the mirror, under God's guidance, I realized that actually through my tiredness, I'd started to lose a bit of perspective. And actually found that I'd started to think a lot more about myself than God. And realized that I'd started to get to this point of thinking that, hey, God, can you not see how hard I've worked and therefore how tired I am? And in that tiredness of just starting to feel a little jaded, I'm thinking, God, I feel tired. I also feel like you should be impressed with what I've done. And in that, starting to feel also a little bit bitter. And as you're confronted with that, as I'm confronted with kind of my own reflection of realizing, man, this isn't who I want to be, God graciously came and met with me. Graciously came and met with me in this moment of extended pause in order that he'd say, actually, I want to come and cause you to remember my grace again, my unconditional mercy and love towards you. And then what God did is he said, I now want to show you a different story of the last 18 months. And rather seeing it as one way you say, I spent myself, I want you to see it as a one where I redefine a much better story. And in it, what God then did is started to reveal his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his resource, his strength through the last 18 months. 
And as I came to see it more and more, suddenly the reflection changed. It went from one where I was looking in on myself to suddenly realize that it isn't I'm to live thinking a sense of pity, oh man, you know, I just about survived. But rather this amazing story of saying, God is much better than I thought he was. And this is what I've tasted and seen. And what I realized is that better story isn't something that's just to be looked back on our past, but it's actually something to be enjoyed within our present. That we're continuously to be defined by the better story that God has for each and every one of us, regardless of our circumstances. And it's that that I therefore want to look at today as we end this series in the life of Daniel, Daniel, of a better story. See, what we've said is that as like Daniel, we've all been uniquely placed for purpose in the environments that we find ourselves in. It isn't that we're then to find ourselves in those environments being determined by the outward circumstances. That's what started to happen to me. But rather that we're to know that regardless of the outward circumstances that are going on, God is wanting to, to cause us to enjoy living in a better story. And we're going to discover that about Daniel. Because as we get to the very end of the story of Daniel, we realize and get to see that it ends slightly differently to how we think it should. As I'm going to jump straight in, so we're going to look at the very, very end of the story of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 13, where it says this, God speaking to Daniel. He's over 70 years old by this point. He's lived through the entirety of his life in exile. And yet in there, as we've seen week on week, this amazing journey of a life where he's known moments of unbelievable influence and also moments of unbelievable suffering. And within it, God then speaks into him at the very end of the story and says this, as for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. You will rest and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. See, when we get to the end of the book, when you realize that it's been this story of these immense moments of high influence as well as low moments of suffering, we could then think, well, surely it's going to end slightly differently. Surely it's going to end in this epic knockout moment for Daniel. He's had many of them, hasn't he? Survives a night with the lions interprets a dream and saves a bunch of people, interprets a dream and causes a king to suddenly realize who God is and to submit his life before him, interprets a writing on a wall and causes a king to be ruined and undone and then die. This is a guy who had many, many moments that seemed high as well as moments that seemed kind of pretty nuts and suffering. And if you like, we're used to storylines that build that way Hollywood loves them. Disney can't help but take you through this journey of moments of excitement then filled to these drops of despair to then go to a point of excitement to a drop of despair until you get to the last five minutes when suddenly, knockout ending, the star of the show is the great victor. Well, you think, but that surely is how Daniel shall end, but it doesn't. It could then think, well, maybe it just ends by tying it up and then Daniel live like this, and he was no more. But it doesn't end like that either. It ends rather with an instruction and a promise. 
An instruction and a promise where God, through that instruction and promise, I think, reveals how we get to live within the better story. Because what we find out about Daniel is the reason the end isn't painted is because the end never comes. Because that's the amazing story. A story that isn't about the climax of some knockout ending, but rather is about an inner life. An inner life that isn't determined by outward circumstances. An inner life that continues to know the the hope that there is in God, that knows that that will never end. And is a journey forever with God in a story that is way better than we could ever imagine. Therefore, I want to just briefly look at the elements of this story. The elements that we see in this last instruction and command given to Daniel that allow us, each and every one of us, to understand how God wants us to live in the better story that he offers us. For many of us in this room, we've come to know that we get to live in this new life that Jesus afforded us through his life, death, and resurrection. But there'll be some of us who haven't yet just seen that. We've not yet kind of figured that bit out. And maybe today, for you, it starts to allow you to see and taste the better story that is available for you, for your life. But for many of us, we say, no, no, I know I've centered my life on Jesus. And for us, it's that we get to see the better story, not just retrospectively as we look back over our last year or six months or lifetime, but rather as in this moment now, regardless of what's going on, of understanding there's this better story that is now part of our life that now paints the footsteps as we move forward. And that better story we're going to discover is summed up in three things. It's firstly in terms of living, then resting, and then hoping. That's where we're going, just so you can kind of keep track, rather than thinking, is he ever going to stop? I promise you I will. So firstly, living. God just simply says to Daniel, go your way. The Hebrew there is, is like gives the impression of just walking is keep walking the way you've always walked. It isn't like, Daniel, this is what you must do. It's actually, Daniel, just continue to live the way that you've been living. See, we don't have to look and remember much to realize how Daniel's been living, the way that he's been going. See, the story's just littered with this way that Daniel lived. See, Daniel lived with this deep desire to honor God. So you see it from day one of his time in exile that he's brought before the, the kind of college of being made to be more like a Babylonian. He says, yeah, I'm willing to live as you want us to live. Apart from this one thing, I won't eat of the king's table because actually you need to understand something about me. I honor God more than people. And have other moments where in interpreting dreams, he says, actually, this isn't about me, it's about God. There's nothing special about me, it's God. Or a moment of saying, actually, you don't have to spend a night with the lions, just say, you'll pray to the king. And he says, no, no, I prefer a night with the lions because I'm about honoring God. But it wasn't just that he was about honoring God, it's also this way that he lived was also about being satisfied by God. See, that 
Daniel knew in the very depths of his being, as he honoured God, it wasn't out of some level of duty, but it's out of this deep sense of satisfaction that whatever was offered was nothing in comparison to who God was to him. Therefore, he could deny the, the, the benefits of having the king's table and all of its drink and food that it offered, because he knew God was way more satisfying. He could deny the need for influence and wealth because he realized that God was way more satisfying than influence and wealth. And therefore, whether it was a moment where he was stood in charge of the whole nation on the king's behalf, or a moment where it looked as though everything was going to be stripped away from him as well as his life, it didn't determine him because he realized that God was more satisfying than any of it. It wasn't just honoring. It wasn't just being satisfied by God. It was also that he then lived revealing God. Revealing God in everything he did, whether it was choosing to pray. And so I think Richard looked at this a couple of weeks ago where Daniel says, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray instead of, to God instead of to the king. I'm not doing it privately. I'm doing it publicly and opens the window to his room that he's praying in in order that everyone can see. I'm not hiding here. Like what I'm doing is I'm revealing who God is. In the moments before kings, he always takes this point of saying, actually, this is nothing to do with me. I'm revealing who this God who created everything is. And I want you to know him. See, Daniel lived in this way of honoring God, of being satisfied by God, of revealing God. And God says, oh, you're to continue to live this way. Why? Because this is the way that God always designed for humanity to live. This is what it looks like to be truly human. See, if we go back and we see that this story of Daniel is part of a bigger story, a better story. A story that starts at the very beginning of the book, Genesis. At the beginning of the book in Genesis, you find that God, who has always been in loving community, Father, Son, and Spirit, out of love, creates. And God only can create. Because creation ultimately is about bringing to being something that was never. The rest of us, we just make stuff. We make stuff from whatever was. God creates. And out of that loving community, he creates life, the universe. And at the centerpiece of his creation is this frail beings called humanity, male and female, equally loved by God. And God says, well, I now place you in the center of this universe, not so you live at the center of it, thinking it's all about you, but rather you're those that now bear my image. To do what? To live in a way that honors God, is satisfied by him, and reveals him. But then we know what happens. You only have to get three chapters in to realize what humanity does. What we then continue to do is that humanity then says, hey, I wonder if this call to honor, to be satisfied and to reveal God is actually where it's at. Maybe if it was more about us, maybe we can find satisfaction elsewhere than God. Maybe we can be more honored than God gives us credit to. Maybe we are more equal than he wants us to be. And so then we know that the story breaks, that humanity gets this point of saying, no, no, we're not gonna live to honor God and be satisfied by him and reveal him we're going to seek to live to honor ourselves, to be satisfied in whatever way we want, and to reveal everything is about us. And we fast forward 
through millennia to get to the 21st century to realize we're still there. And the consequences of living that way is it causes humanity to live with this deep sense of emptiness. That whatever we give ourselves to find satisfaction, it never quite fits. It never quite satisfies. There's always this desire for more. And that rather than what we give ourselves, looking to honor ourselves, looking to reveal how good we are, we get to this point of realizing that actually we're left not just empty, but full of shame and guilt, broken. That whenever we get to the point of our best, we then just realize in a moment our worst. And we're left in this point of brokenness. You see, that isn't the end of the story. The best story that we get part of is that Jesus, who is God, comes on earth and does what? Through his life, death, and resurrection, does this amazing thing. See, the cross and what Jesus did, we can look at it through so many different lenses that allow us to see the wonder of what Jesus has accomplished for you and of what Jesus has accomplished for me. And one of them is this, that he restored our humanity. That through his life, death, and resurrection, he said, now I give you life. Just like the poem said, I'm the giver. And part of his giving to us is he restores and returns us to who we were meant to be. That's what the word restoration means. Restoration means you were returned. What we return to? We return to the design at the beginning. Suddenly Jesus says, hey, it's not about you. I'm going to return you through my life, death, and resurrection, causing you to live in the wonder of God's unconditional love and acceptance, causing you to live now being fully human in order to hear, remember. Not that you get to wander around naked in the garden. It's that. If anyone says that, they're just weird. No, no, it's the moment of no being restored, returned to people who can honor God, be satisfied by him, and reveal him in order that the better story becomes that, that you and I get to live in the unique places that we've been placed, being fully human. Being fully human as Jesus was human. As those who get to say, every day is a day where I get to honor God, be satisfied by him, and reveal him. And you know what the amazing truth is, which is I hope what we've been seeing week in, week out through the fact that we've been placed for purpose is God ordained that only you could do that where you're uniquely placed. Just as only I can do it where I've been uniquely placed. God fashioned and thought, hey, do you know who I think could reveal the wonder of who I am? Could live in honoring me, be satisfied by me in Charrington Road, Birmingham, Adrian Hurst and his family. We're to live with that perspective, that this better story is one where we get to live knowing that we're about honoring God, being satisfied by him, and revealing him. Now, at this point, we can think, well, okay, I've got to put myself in there and get on and do that then. Well, no, that's not the end of the better story. See, it isn't then that we then think, all right, nose to the grind, make this happen. No, we do this by understanding the better story is also characterized by rest. God says to Daniel, you will rest. And that rest that's being promised there is both a now and a future for Daniel. In terms of the now is him understanding that 
in this way that he lives, he then gets to know the rest that God gives him. That means that he can live within his circumstances, not being dictated to by them. I don't know what you notice, but when Daniel faces the lions, he isn't freaking out. I don't know if you've seen a lion, but they're very big. If it had been me, I wonder if I'd been as calm. But Daniel seems in this living the way, lives with this deep sense of the rest that God affords him. But it isn't just in the now, it's also in the future. See, that word that's been used there, you will rest, is the most magnificent, beautiful word of describing something that in this earth we fear, and it takes away its sting, and that's death. Because what God's saying there is you will die. That's what he's meaning in terms of the future. It's the rest for now, but there's a rest for the future. What a beautiful changing of God restoring and returning what death had come in to destroy. So suddenly death isn't something to be fearful of. Rather, it's this understanding that's the doorway in to entering fully into the eternal rest of God. That's what God promises to Daniel. He says, hey, one day you're going to die, but it isn't death, it isn't the end. It's the invitation to the enveloping of my eternal rest. And the same is true for us then, that we then get to live in this life, knowing as we live that we get to live with rest, rest in the now. So we live with the fact that Jesus said this in Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." That within our life now, that God promises through Jesus a rest for the deepest part of us. And that rest always involves, as it did for Daniel. For Daniel, his rest in the now was from something and in something. It was from thinking it was down to him into resting in God's provision. And for us, it's the same. That we get to know this rest in the deepest sense of our being. Because Jesus affords it, that we can rest from working at am I good enough to rest in what Jesus affords us we are unconditionally loved and accepted like that for me is the most mind-blowing life-changing reality I live with that even in that moment where I'm stood before the mirror thinking ah ugliness of myself it doesn't take long for God in his kindness to rush through and say, but you don't have to live this way, Adrian. You get to rest from proving yourself and rest in my unconditional love and acceptance. As so when people ask me, they say, hey, how was your time off? I will say, what do I say? I feel rested. Do I feel less tired? Yes. Do I feel completely full of energy? No. But I feel rested. Why? Because perspective got changed. I suddenly realized, no, I get to live in the now of understanding every day. I wake up thinking I have nothing to prove. How freeing is that? I have nothing to prove. I just get to walk through this day knowing I'm more loved than accepted than I could dare to believe. And then I go to sleep at the end of the day thinking, whoa, rest up. I have nothing to prove. And whether there's moments within it where I feel like in my honoring and revealing and being satisfied by God have been amazing, 
or moments where I feel like, oh man, God, I blew it there. The rest, it doesn't change. It doesn't change the rest that I get to enjoy. Nothing to prove. Rest in the love and acceptance of the eternal God. But it isn't just a rest for the now, it's a rest for eternity, a rest for the future. See, Jesus made this promise. You see, just as there was a promise to Daniel, there's a promise to you and I in John where Jesus says this. It's not there, um, but we'll come back to it. Jesus said in John, and I can't remember where it is, I think it's chapter 14, just before he's about to be crucified. And Jesus says, look, to his disciples, you, you don't need to worry or fear because I'm going ahead of you. This is Adrian paraphrase. I'm going ahead of you to prepare a way for you because in my father's house, there are many rooms that I'm getting ready for you. And in that desire, is there? Um, I put it in the wrong place. My father's house, there are many rooms. My humanity. Um, when Jesus said that, he was, we haven't got time to look at this in massive detail, but he was recounting something that everyone would have heard before because that was what was said when someone proposed, a, a groom proposed to a potential bride. And if she'd accepted and they were going to get married, he'd then proclaim this over her and say, in my father's house are many rooms. If that was not so, would I have told you that? I am going there to prepare a room for you. And then he'd disappear for a year and build an extension to his father's house. And that would be their marital home. And then a year later, he'd return and say, now we're going. But in the moment where he pronounces that over his future bride, there's no question that it's going to happen. Everyone's seen it. It's a generational thing. It's happened time after time after time after time. Everyone knows the promise will be fulfilled. So when Jesus uses this language, it's such intimate language he uses for you and for me. I'm saying, this is a guarantee. Everyone hearing that for the first time knew that what Jesus was promising was going to happen. See, Jesus promises, I'm going to get a place that is rest forever. And that rest forever, if we go back, back to resting. If we find in Revelation 21, 22, that there's these images that are given there that show us this eternal rest. We see in Revelation 21, 1, it says that there's no more sea. Why is that important? Well, the sea throughout scripture is what's used to reveal chaos and unrest. And the fact that it's not there when God gets everything as it's meant to be shows this is a place where there is no chaos or unrest. You then find it in Revelation 22 where there's this picture and it says there'll be no more darkness because God will be the light forever. Well, what's that about? It's saying that actually, just as we need night now to rest and sleep, there'll become a moment where we don't need night because we won't need to sleep because we will be fully at rest. That Jesus promises, hey, I've got a rest for you that will be eternal. Which does push us now to this next part, the last part of living in the good of everything Jesus has, of this better story of living, of resting, and hoping. Jesus said, Jesus said to Daniel first, through God, the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. That God promises to Daniel and says, Look, you will rest you will be resurrected, and you will gain an inheritance. Live for what is to come. And in the same way Jesus says that to us, as I said, that he promised it to us, like a, bride, a groom to a bride. 
He has an eternal hope for us, a home that he is building that will come and be overwhelmed and fill this earth. In order that will be full of his goodness that will come and dwell in. It's why we spend time in Revelation 21, 22, because it paints this word picture of this amazing home that Jesus is getting ready for us. In order that we don't think that our story is based just in this moment now. Rather, the better story is one that will never end. We'll just keep going, that death isn't the end of, but rather one that becomes a door into resting eternally that goes on forever, understanding and seeing the wonder of what God has for us. C.S. Lewis, who's one of my personal heroes, who seemed to live with this knowledge of what is to come more than anyone else. Continuously calling people to say, hey, don't settle for what there is now. Continuously focus on what will come. He writes this in a sermon uh, that he did, uh, looking at the, the weight of God's glory. That's what he called it. He says this, in speaking of this desire for our own far-off country, which you find in ourselves even now, I feel a certain shyness. I'm almost committing an indecency. I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you. The secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence. The secret also which pierces with such sweetness that when in very intimate conversation, the mention of it becomes imminent. We grow awkward and affect a laugh at ourselves. The secret we cannot hide and cannot tell, though we desire to do both. You see, the books of the, or music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. They're not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found. What C.S. Lewis is saying here is if we think this world is the best it's going to be, we are falling well short. We are people who are to live knowing that we don't look at the created. We look at the creator. And the creator is way more satisfying. And we have a hope that will come, that is more beautiful and wonderful than anything we can experience in this life. Therefore, do not settle for anything less. We're invited to live in a better story, a better story that is about living, seeking to honor God, seeking to be satisfied by him, seeking to reveal him. It's a story that's about resting, Resting from our own efforts and resting in Jesus' efforts and the fact that we're now declared unconditionally loved, good enough. Resting in the fact that we now know an eternal hope that means that we will eternally rest. That death isn't the end. Sting on. Rest. And knowing that this better story paints no ending, but a hope that endures forever. Every story that's ever been told on this earth has an ending. The amazing, uncomfortable, profound, provocative truth is this. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have no ending.
Are you living with a better story? Maybe you've come this morning and you think, well, I didn't realize that was the story that was on offer. Well, for you, the story is there for it to shape your life. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, when I try to define my story, it doesn't work. I rather submit myself to your life, death, and resurrection and receive your story. And if you'd like to do that, I'd love to talk to you in about five minutes at the end. And so please do come and speak to me. But for many of us, we'd say we've put and centered our life on Jesus. And my question for us is, are we living with a better story? The better story that defines who we are now. Not just our past, not just our future, but it defines this moment now. Now for us, what I want to do is give you a gift, every single one of us in this room. And little booklets are going to be handed out and it's going to feel like we've changed tack slightly as we are changing tack slightly. We've been working together as a team to uh, create something that we felt would enable and encourage every single one of us in our pursuit of Jesus, in living in light of what we're calling today the better story. And we've been creating this resource that would be a discipleship guide that I'll come on to explain in a moment, but we've been looking at when we were launching it, and when we realized how we were ending this series in Daniel, we just felt like, man, this is the best moment to launch this. And this isn't a resource where you think, oh, that was nice, it's got a nice front cover, let's leave it on the chair and go. It's a resource to use in your daily life. I promise you, if you've been pursuing Jesus for 50 years, it will benefit you. If you've not yet started to pursue Jesus, it will benefit you. And what the book does is it seeks to give you and I a rhythm to live your life with, a rhythm to live your life with under the guise of pause. As actually to live our life as God wants us to, to live our life in light of all that Jesus has afforded to us, isn't something that will happen by mistake. It's actually something we have to actively, daily seek to remember. And therefore the pause is the most powerful weapon that we have to do that that we pause within our life and seek to live a different way. And in this, we're going to discover there's a rhythm that's used to allow this pause to have its effect. The first is a daily pause, a daily pause that's to affect how we live our lives each and every day. The second one is a weekly pause, a weekly pause that shapes in two ways, both in how we seek to rest, but also how we seek to honor God. And then thirdly, it's a monthly pause. A monthly pause that gets us to reflect on who we are and how we're living. And I thought, there's not gonna be a question of application. There's rather an invitation to take this booklet and start to say, I wanna live in the better story, God. And therefore, I'm gonna take this and start to action it. What I'd encourage you to do is working on it as an individual, but also within small groups, I'd encourage us, let's be getting this and sharing it with one another and saying, how are we doing in living in this daily pause, weekly pause, and monthly pause rhythm? Otherwise, can I just pray for us? And then we're gonna end. So just where you are, if you wanna close your eyes, just away, not getting distracted by other things and other people. Jesus, I thank you so much for the beauty and wonder of the life that you've afforded to every individual in this room. I thank you that the life you've afforded us is way better than we could have ever imagined. 
And Jesus, I thank you that that life isn't robbed by outward circumstances. But God, rather we are sustained by your better story regardless of outward circumstances. And I ask God, would you cause each and every one of us to live more in light of it? To live more daily knowing that you've uniquely placed each and every one of us to honor you, to be satisfied by you, and to reveal you. I pray, God, would you cause us to live knowing we get to live resting. It's not about us, nothing to prove. I pray also, would you cause us to live knowing we have a hope, a hope within this better story that promises our stories through you, Jesus, will never end. And Jesus, I pray for anyone in this room who's not yet discovered this better story. I pray, God, would you come and would you meet with them? I pray, Jesus, would you reveal that what's on offer here is for them as well. So God, we ask this in order that you would be glorified. Amen.